Good morning. We, uh, thank you. Wow, I never get that from teenagers. <laughs> um, we had to mess up the uh, table, pull out the table this morning because I ain't quite got it memorized yet. So <laughs> maybe a few more years I'll get there. Um, so I am Matt. I am the student pastor here. Um, if you don't know me, that's because they don't let me out of that building across the street very often. Um, but uh, I, Davin did ask me to speak in his stay this morning as he um, is up in Kentucky preaching a revival. And so we do want to be in prayer for him uh, this morning and tonight and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night as he um, is up there preaching revival. And so as a student pastor, um, I don't know that I could get up here without at least saying something about what's going on in the student ministry because uh, a lot of times you guys just don't know what's going on in the student ministry. And so our Wednesday night program is called Riot. Um, now, everybody knows what a riot is. In fact, by definition, it's a violent disturbance of peace by a crowd. A violent disturbance of peace by the crowd. Now, I know what you're thinking. You got 100 teenagers over there. You're going to have a riot every week. But that's not the kind of riot I'm talking about. The reason people riot is because things get so bad that it takes an extreme act in order to make a change. And I believe that we live in a world that is so bad, that has gone so far away from God, that we need people who are willing to do something extreme in order to make a change. So I'm asking our students to riot for God. So we don't wanna burn down buildings and break into cars or something like that, but we wanna do it for God in a way that people understand that this is different than the rest of the world, that we are acting different, then I think that that is something is extreme. When a student is willing to stand up in a locker room and say, this isn't right what we're talking about. We need to change the subject. I think it's extreme when a student is willing to speak out for what the Bible says instead of what the world says. I think it's extreme when we see a student that is on mission for God instead of for themselves in this world. Well, I think that applies to us as well. It is extreme in this world for us to see people living their lives for God. And so that's why I don't wanna talk about following Jesus. Because following Jesus is something that I think is extreme in this world. I know we live in Alabama and I know there's a church on every corner. I know people actually go to those churches, but that doesn't mean that they are following Jesus. We follow all kinds of things on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. We follow our friends, we follow different businesses, all kinds of stuff. We follow to see what they have to say. And so today, I want us to follow Jesus and see what he has to say and see what it would look like if we sold out and completely followed Jesus with everything that we have, how that would be extreme and what a difference we could make in this world. And so we're going to look at the life of Peter, a follower of Jesus. And we're gonna look at what he did, things he believed, how he responded to Jesus, and what we can learn from that to help us be better followers of him. We first encounter Peter in John chapter one, and 
This is when John the Baptist is out doing exactly what he was created to do. He's in the wilderness proclaiming uh, the one who is to come, pointing the way to Jesus. And Jesus comes along and John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God. And the scripture tells us that two of his disciples immediately left and started following Jesus. I think this is a great testimony to what John is doing. He is actually fulfilling his purpose because his purpose was to come and point the way to Jesus. And so when Jesus walks by and he says, look, the Lamb of God, two of his disciples drop him and start following Jesus, the one he's been pointing to for all this time. And so the scripture tells us that one of these guys is Andrew. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter. And so Andrew gets excited and he goes to his brother, Simon Peter, and tells him, we have found the Messiah. And Simon Peter goes and meets Jesus for the first time. And so this, I believe, is the first encounter that Simon Peter has with Jesus. He understands who he is. He understands that he is the Lamb of God. Short time later, Peter has another encounter with Jesus. And this is where we find the core of our passage today. It's in Luke chapter five. If you wanna turn there, we'll be going through that section. And so what's happening here is Simon, he's a fisherman. He's been out with his brothers and he's fishing all night long with very little results. As a professional, I could understand his frustration. I can see how he would not have the best attitude this morning as he is cleaning his nets. He's cleaning his nets, he's been out, he's frustrated. He just wants to go home, to clean up and go home. I'm sure you've had those days where it's been a tough day at work and you're just ready to get home and for the day to be over. As a parent, it's been a tough day with the kids and you're ready for them to get in bed and for your day to just be over. But that's not what happened here. His day isn't over. He doesn't get, go to, get to go to bed because Jesus showed up. So let's read in Luke chapter five, starting in verse one. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gerasset, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So here we are, Simon Peter. He's cleaning his nets, and Jesus comes up and says, can I use your boat? I want to use your boat to go out and teach the people. Now, I just told you that Simon Peter had already been introduced to Jesus. So he knew who he was. He had been told who he was and had an encounter with him. And so I think that even though he's tired, even though he's frustrated, yes, as a fan of Jesus, I would love for you to use my boat. I would love to go out and get a front row seat to what you have to say. And so I think this was an easy answer, an easy jump from uh, cleaning your nets to going and listening to the one that John the Baptist has just declared is the Lamb of God. And so that's what happens. And Jesus goes out and teaches from his boat. Then we continue in verse four. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. 
Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say, I will let down the net. So I could see Simon here. He has gone out. He has let Jesus use his boat. He's got a front row seat. He's listened to him. And that has been great. But now Jesus has upped the ante. He's asked him to actually work, to actually do something. And so I can hear the frustration in Peter's voice as he goes, I'm the professional, Jesus. I've been doing this all night. I know what I'm doing, and we hadn't caught anything. Jesus, this don't really make sense because all professional fishermen know that we don't go out in the deep water at day. That's where we fish at night. In the daytime, we fish in the shallow water. So this doesn't make any sense, Jesus. But because you said so, we'll do it. I can hear that in Peter's voice as he his responds to Jesus. Because sometimes Jesus' instructions, they don't make sense to us. We don't understand what he's trying to say. Let me give you some examples. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? I know it's Halloween, but this is weird. Why would we eat his flesh and drink his blood? That's confusing to a world that doesn't know our Savior. But by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, we can understand this truth that Jesus had to come to earth, that he had to sacrifice his body, he had to shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And if we want to be a part of the kingdom of God, we must partake in that sacrifice and eat his flesh and drink his blood so that we can be a part of that kingdom. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can understand that. Sometimes it doesn't make sense when Jesus says that we should love our enemies. <laughs> no, that's not how this world works. Love our enemies? No, we love our friends. We love our families. We love most of our neighbors. We love God's people. But our enemies, mm, those are the people that's hurt us, that want to harm us. I don't want to love them. But through the power of Christ, we can understand that he loves everybody. He sent his son to die on the cross for everybody. And if we want to be like him, we need to do likewise. As we follow him, we must obey his commands to love even our enemies. It doesn't make sense in our world when Jesus says the first will be last and the last will be first. This doesn't work for us. We understand that we have fought to be first for a long time. In fact, that new iPhone comes out and we go to the stores and we get in line super early, spend the night there so that we can be first in line to get the new iPhone. And we understand what a line is. The first is first and the last, they're last. But in the kingdom of God, it's different. When we understand that the one that humbles himself before the Lord will be elevated to be the most important. And it truly is, he that is last will be made first. Sometimes the instructions of God don't make sense to our earthly minds. Sometimes it gets personal when God tells you that you need to quit that job. I've got something better for you. You need to quit that job. You know that 
they're a little shady and you don't need to be a part of that. You need to quit that job. That's not where I want you. I've got something better for you. But you don't know what it is yet. And you go, God, this don't make any sense. I've got to provide for my family. And if I quit this job, I don't know what's next. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. But as a follower of Christ, are you willing to obey even when it doesn't make sense? God may come to you and say, I want you to sell everything and go and serve me. Sell it all. What? I've worked my whole life to acquire this stuff, this house that's almost paid off and this car and all my stuff that I love and you want me to sell it all and start over and serve you? Yeah, that's what I said. That doesn't make any sense. But are we as followers of Jesus willing to obey even when it doesn't make sense? Begrudgingly, Simon did. And we pick up in verse six. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partner. And so when Simon Peter obeyed and they went out and put their nets down in the deep water, they got such a large catch that they were all amazed. And Peter's response was absolutely accurate, absolutely what it should have been because he understand who was standing before him. He saw his power over creation. He saw his authority over the water and the fish and he fell on his knees and said, no, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. He saw his holiness and that he didn't deserve a place because of his sin. And he fell down and worshiped Jesus. But Jesus said in verse 10 to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to shore, left everything and followed him. This is where Jesus first called Simon Peter to be his disciple. And he left it all. It didn't make sense but he left it all because he understood who Jesus was. Maybe not completely, maybe not fully, but he got a glimpse enough to know that this person was special, that this person was different, that this person had power and authority that he had never seen before. And so he left everything and followed Jesus. And so the first thing that we get as followers of Jesus is we understand that in order to be a follower of Jesus, we must obey even when it doesn't make sense. We find Peter a little later again in a boat. He's with the other disciples. You're fairly familiar with the story Jesus had been teaching. And when he finished teaching, he sent the disciples in a boat ahead of him. They get out into the water and it says that the wind starts to blow and make waves. And Jesus started walking out towards the boat. As he gets close enough for them to see, the disciples begin to get scared. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, it is I. 
Peter's reply is one of great faith. Peter's reply to Jesus is one of great faith. He says, Lord, this is in Matthew 14, verse 28. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. When he realizes who it is, he sees Jesus walking on water, and through faith he says, call me out there, let me do that. Now, I can only imagine how many times Peter had jumped out of a boat. I mean, he was a fisherman, he was in a boat all the time and had jumped out of the boat, and every time he jumped out of the boat, he sunk or swam or walked on shore or whatever he did, but never had he walked on top of the water. And so he said, Jesus, if it's you, let me walk on water. And Jesus said, come. And so as he reached his foot over the edge of the boat into the water, he has faith that Jesus can do exactly what he said he's gonna do. He believed that that water was gonna hold him up. And he took that step out and that's exactly what happened. Well, we all know the rest of the story that he got distracted by the waves and looked away and Jesus had to rescue him. But when it comes to that first step, I can just see the faith that he had that he believed what Jesus said. Now, I go to the lake all the time. I even take our teenagers with us every single summer. I love the water and I have never walked on it. But let me tell you something, if Jesus ever gives me the opportunity to walk on water, I'm gonna jump so fast because I'm ready. I wanna do it because I believe that we serve a God that controls all power and authority. He is in charge of his creation and if he says it, it can happen. And so he had the faith and we understand that as a follower of Christ, we must have faith that God can do what he says he's gonna do. And when he tells us to do something, he's going to fulfill his promise. And when he calls us to it and we obey, he will fulfill it because he has all power and authority over creation right here on earth. Well, we run into Peter again on a boat. Apparently he liked a boat as much as I do. Now we're in John chapter 21. This is after the resurrection of Jesus. Peter says to the other disciples, I want to go out and go fishing. Anybody want to go? And so some of the disciples go with him out on the boat. He's fishing. And again, Peter's not having a good night. And right before daybreak, before they can see really well, a man walks up on the shore. They can't see who it is, but the man yells out, have you caught anything? And they reply, no, we hadn't caught anything. And so Jesus says, try the right side. I'm sure that they've tried everything, right? I mean, you don't go out fishing and try one thing and give up. You try and try and try. They, for whatever reason, listen to this man on the shore and they bring in a huge catch. And immediately, John and Peter realize that this has to be Jesus. 
And it says that Peter jumped out of the boat and swam to the shore while the other disciples brought the boat in and they had breakfast on the beach. For Peter, I see this as one of those full circle moments that happens in God's kingdom where three years prior, this same miracle had just happened during his call. He followed Jesus for three years and here we are after the resurrection and the same thing happens again. And I can see Peter and his joy and understanding that must be Jesus because he's done the same thing again. He jumps out of the boat and swims up to Jesus. As followers of Christ, I believe these moments should happen for all of us where something happens and we connect the dots back to the past where Jesus had called us to do something or made a promise or somehow brings it full circle and we just step back and go, oh, what an amazing God. What an amazing God. I know this happens in my life uh, all the time. One example for you is at my previous church, I came in and the youth group had never been on an international mission trip. And I felt God call me to lead the students on an international mission trip to experience God outside of the borders of the U.S. And I was excited about that. The problem was I had never been on an international mission trip. So how would I possibly be able to lead a group if I had never done it? So I said, God, yes, we're going to do this, but I'm going to take a little time before we do this because I've got to go and figure this out. And so I signed up for a trip to go to Costa Rica, a small fishing village called La Cruz. We went with a few other adults from our church and another group from South Carolina. We met down there and uh, we went to this small fishing village and we helped plant a church uh, right in the heart of La Cruz. It was a great trip, great experience. I came back and I was super excited to take the students. There was just one problem. I had never led an international mission trip before. So I said, God, I want to fulfill your calling, but I need to lead something first. And so I gathered up about four or five college students and a few adults went with us and we went on a trip, church planning in Ecuador. Had a great experience, loved the trip, and got back and I said, God, I'm ready. I've been on a trip. God, I'm ready. I've led a trip. God, next year is the year. We're taking these students on a trip just like you called me to. And God said, no, it ain't time. What? Two years ago, you said it was. And we've worked through this process. Clearly, God, it's time. But I listened and didn't schedule it. The next year rolled around and I said, God, can we do it now? And he said, yes. So I started praying about where he wanted us to go and he led me back to Costa Rica. Now, we were going to serve in Liberia. This is a city that we had flown into three years prior and taken the bus up to La Cruz. And so I felt good about standing up in front of youth parents and say, I've been in that airport. I've eaten in the McDonald's right down the street. I've been in that city. I am comfortable taking your teenagers here, knowing that they'll be safe. And so we signed up. We started having students sign up and adults and we're headed to Liberia. And I'm super excited. And about a month before the trip happened, the trip leader said, that missionary down there 
in Costa Rica says, this isn't working. Like the pastors they're trying to work with aren't really getting on board. And so we need to change plans. There's this small little fishing village about an hour north called La Cruz that I would like to take your group to. There's a pastor there that's only had a church for about three years, but is ready to help plant another church. And I had to think because just like I told you the story, it was three years earlier, and I went back and I looked at my stuff and I was like, La Cruz, that is the city we went at. Wow. And I started looking at it and going, I understand why God said, wait. And we got there, we stayed in the exact same hotel, and we worked with the pastor I had worked with three years before to plant another church right outside of town. It was one of those moments for me that it was like, wow, God, you're so good. You have such a great plan that we can't even understand it. If we will just obey and have faith, then those moments will happen in our lives. Those moments will happen where God reveals himself and he shows up and shows us what an awesome God he is. Well, the story goes on in verse chapter, John chapter 21, verse 15. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. This, most people believe, is Jesus' way of restoring Simon after his denial before the crucifixion. You probably know the story. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples celebrating the Passover. And he says to them that before the night is over, before the rooster crows, one of you will deny me three times. And the disciples say, no, no, there's no way. In fact, Peter even says that I would die first before that happens. But they leave there and they go to the garden. Jesus is arrested, taken into trial, and Peter follows at a distance. And we find that Peter's denying Christ. John 18, 17, a girl says, you aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? And he replied, I am not. Verse 25, meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of the disciples too, are you? He denied it saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow. You see, on the beach that morning, having breakfast with Jesus, Peter hadn't forgotten this. It wasn't that long ago. And I can see Peter sitting there eating their breakfast and he's thinking, is Jesus gonna call me out? Is he gonna point out that he said, you're gonna deny me? And there I did it. 
Am I in trouble? What's going to happen? And then Jesus starts this weird line of questioning. Do you love me? Well, yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Do you love me? Jesus, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus continues on in verse 18. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus restored and forgave Peter for his denial. He called him to follow him and he told him, you will glorify me with your life. You will even glorify me with your death. And that's exactly what happened. If we follow Peter, he went on to be the leader of the Jerusalem church and he was martyred for the faith. We understand that the only way this was possible was because Peter was forgiven. Peter was forgiven for his denial. Peter was forgiven for his sin. And that's because we serve a God who is a gracious God, a merciful God and a forgiving God. In fact, Daniel 9, 9 says, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiven, even though we have rebelled against him. Peter was forgiven, but Peter's not the only one that needs forgiveness. We've all rebelled We've all sinned and we all need to be forgiven. And if we want to be followers of Jesus, that act like followers of Jesus, that look like followers of Jesus, that follow him with everything we have, we have to accept his forgiveness. We have to accept that he loves us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins, have a relationship with him and follow him with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. You see, way back in the beginning, Peter had just met Jesus. He was a fan of Jesus. He wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. But then he encountered Jesus and he became a follower and it changed everything for him. I think there's a lot of people in here that are fans of Jesus. You know who Jesus is, you like Jesus. You're glad that he died on the cross for your sins. You like coming and sitting and hearing a lesson about Jesus and gaining more knowledge about Jesus. But you don't really want Jesus to ask you to do something. That's where it gets hard. That's where it gets difficult. That's where we change from being a fan of Jesus to being a follower of Jesus. And so this morning, I want you to ask yourself, where are you? Are you a fan of Jesus that just likes to come and hear a message, that just likes to be here and feel good about coming to church and singing a few songs? Are you a follower of Jesus who has acknowledged that you're forgiven? And because of that, you're willing to obey God with faith even when it doesn't make sense. 
It all changes when you encounter Jesus. So today, I want to offer the opportunity during the invitation for you to pray a commitment to become a follower. Some of you may need to come and talk to a pastor and say, I've never accepted the forgiveness of my sins from Jesus and I need to start there today. And one of the pastors will lead you through that. Some of you may say, you know, I've been saved, but this whole time, I've just been a fan. I come, I sit, I enjoy, but I don't wanna obey. And today, you need to come to the altar and pray for that. You may wanna join this church. Whatever it is, this time is for you to respond to what God has said to you this morning. And I pray that you respond in obedience. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of Peter as we followed through it, that he wasn't perfect, that he made mistakes, but that he was forgiven and that he obeyed and he made a difference for your kingdom. God, I pray for each and every one of us here that we would do the same, that we would accept the forgiveness that you have for us, And that we would commit that in all things to obey you and follow you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.